Good morning. A good-looking crowd this morning. For all the Oasis members, thank you for coming. I expected you to be here. For all the visitors, thank you for coming. Some that aren't visitors, but I haven't seen you before, so you're visitors to me. Thank you for being here. We are glad to have you this morning. This is the first Sunday morning of 2019. How has your year went so far? Mine's been pretty good. This year we're going to start a new series. For the next several weeks I'm going to be preaching on Come to the Table, what they just got finished singing about. And that's pretty much going to be our theme for 2019 as, as a church. Come to the Table. Part one of this series we're going to do this morning is Everything is Ready. Everything is ready. I, uh, there's something about a, a special meal. I just Christmas dinner, Thanksgiving dinner, when, when the whole family gets together, they all sit around the table. And there's just something special about it. I remember growing up, and, and even when the kids were, were born, and I would go to uh, my mom and dad's for Thanksgiving dinner or Christmas dinner, whatever it may be, that we would sit around in this big table. Mom would always bring out the fancy dishware. She would... I always give her a hard time because she would lower the lights. And so I'd bring in a flashlight or something so I could see what I was eating. And uh, Dad would sit at the head of the table, and we would all sit there, and the kids. And there's just something special about that. It just made you feel welcome. When you were at the table, it made you feel welcome. You were a part of the family. Uh, this past Christmas, and uh, we went to my in-laws for dinner, and they have a new house. This was the first Christmas in this new house and they bought a great big dining room table and so when we sat down to eat this year the kids actually got a place at the table they didn't have to sit at the at the bar or at the coffee table or we didn't have to bring out a card table for them set they actually got to sit at the table Mitchell said this is this is special we get to sit at the big boys table now and uh, he's bigger than I am <clears throat> and we all sat around there and it was just you felt at home you felt apart. You felt loved. Everybody got along. We ate. Everybody was, was talkative. We don't usually go over how our day is much, but when you get around the table, everybody tells how their day was, how it's been going. Everybody's laughing and cutting up and carrying on. We're all getting along. There's just something about a special dinner at the table. And uh, the particular table we're going to be talking about, the Old Testament lays out what this table is all about. All through the Old Testament, this table was there. The table represents the kingdom of God. And all through the Old Testament, this is what the people of God, the Jews, the Israel, children of Israel were longing for was to be a part of this table, to be called to this table, the kingdom of God. This is what they were looking for. This is what they were waiting for. So the table represents the kingdom of God. And then you have the uh, tablecloth, and that represents the grace of God. This table is covered. For not the grace of God, no one would be sitting at this table. We need to be reminded of that because sometimes we know that we have a seat at that table, and we begin to think, even in the slightest bit, it's something I done that put me at that table. It is absolutely nothing that you or I have done apart from the grace of God covering that table, 
no one would have a seat. So the grace of God is, is the covering. And then what they were waiting for, what they had been longing for, came. And it was the centerpiece to this table. And it was the light of the world. Jesus shows up, and we just got through going over all of the Christmas story, him showing up as a babe in a manger. And Jesus shows up, and he is the centerpiece of this table. And so everything is ready. Everything is ready. The table's been set. The kingdom of God, the grace of God, and Jesus as the centerpiece. Which brings us to our scripture this morning in Luke chapter 14. We'll start reading in verse 16. This was Jesus talking to those sitting around the table. And uh, the background of the story is they were all gathered together and they were relaxing and they were talking about the kingdom of God. And Jesus had just told this group, when you go to invite people to a banquet, don't invite your friends, your family, those you love, those you know. Invite the poor, the lame, the ones that are needy and invite them because there's no way for them to pay you back if your friends come if you because we've all done that well let's let's have dinner at my house and most of the time when we say let's have dinner at my house the underlying term is and next time we'll do it at your house but he said these people invite those that cannot possibly pay you back and when you do that god will bless and so one of the guys at the table was lounging there, and he said, oh, how great it would be to eat at the table of God. And so Jesus tells this story. In verse 16, he said, he told them, a man was given a large, he was giving a large banquet and invited many. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who were invited, come, because everything is now ready. But without exception, they all began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I bought a field, and I must go and see it. I ask if you would excuse me. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to try them out. I ask you to excuse me. Still the third said, I just got married, and therefore I am able to come, unable to come. Notice the first one said, I, I've done this, and I've got to go check this out. The second one said, I've done this, and I've got to check that out. The third one said, I got married, I just can't come. In other words, I want to try this out, and I'm going to try that out, but the third guy just couldn't get permission from his wife. I just got married. I just, he didn't even say, would you please excuse me? He just said, I am unable to come. So the servant came back, and he reported these things to the master. And in anger, the master of the house told the servant, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the city and bring in here the poor, maimed, blind, and lame. Master, the servant said, what you were ordered has already been done, and there is still room. Then the master told the servant, go out into the highways and the hedges and make them come in. Well, the King James Version says, compel them to come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, not one of those people who were invited will enjoy my banquet. 
And he tells the story of this man who's going to throw this amazing banquet, this large banquet. Keep in mind, everybody had already been invited that he wanted there. He had a select group invited to the table. They already knew about it. They had plenty of notice. They knew the table was there. They knew it was covered. They knew everything was ready. But when the time came for them to come to the banquet, they had better things to do. You say, how ridiculous is that? That's, that's crazy. They get invited to this large banquet, and they find excuses. The Bible says, without fail, everyone began looking for excuses to not come to this banquet. And what had happened is the life that they had prepared for themselves was more important than the life that God had prepared for them. And it seems silly, but how many times do we do that? We talked over the Christmas break about Mary and Joseph, and they had big plans, and God showed up and completely wrecked their plans. Well, what happens when you know there's a banquet coming? And when the time comes for what God has for you, the life you've made for yourself has now become more important than what God has waiting for you. Well, God, I, I just... I just got married. I've got big plans. I've got everything that I want. I've got the perfect spouse picked out. Don't mess with my plans. I've got the perfect job lined up. Don't mess with my plans. I have everything I want. My life is exactly the way I want it. I know you have something for me, God, but, and we make excuses. What we have built for ourselves what we have laid out for ourselves has now become more important than what God has in store for us. Well, they sing about this morning, not my will, but thine be done. I don't care how perfect your life is. It is not complete if it is not what God has for you. You can have the perfect life. You can have everything because we get into a, we're a creature of habit most of the time. I, I get, I am, I, I get in my zone and, and I, this is my, my way and I don't want to be bothered. I don't want to be detoured and we get so comfortable in that place that when God calls and the invitation is given, we say, ah, I've kind of got my plate full right now, God. I've kind of got it just the way I want it. I don't want to mess anything up. I don't have time for you. So these servants went out and they invited. They, they reminded all those that had been invited, everything is ready. Now he didn't go tell them, you got to get ready. You got to get dressed up. You got to get a food prepared. He went to them and he said, everything is ready. And everyone without fail came up with an excuse. So they come and they return and they tell the master. And it infuriates him. The table's already been set. The banquet is already ready. The centerpiece has been set. And he's got no guests. So in anger he says, go into the streets and the alleys and find the poor 
the maim, the blind, and the lame. Why those? Why the poor, the maim, the blind, and the lame? Because he's telling them, come into my house. Come to the table. And the master tells them to go to those that are in need the most. The church's responsibility is for those in need the most. And that's what he sends them after. Those that can't help themselves. Those that are stricken. Those that are blind, maimed, poor. Those that are at their rope's end. That need all the help in the world. Go get them. Our responsibility as a church is to help those that need help the most. And that's the first people he sends after to come to the table. Those are the ones sometimes that we leave aside because we don't know how to react around them. We don't know how to act. They aren't, aren't like us sometimes. They, they have different struggles that we don't understand, and so it makes us uncomfortable. He said, go and get those that need help the most. And the servant was a good servant. He said, all those have already been brought in. We knew. We knew what the church was supposed to do, and we've already went and we've already got them, and we've already brought them to the table. And yet there is still plenty of room. So he says, all right, go into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in. The highways and the hedges, the, way, the ways in and out of town, we just don't like to go in and out of town very much. The, the roughest of the rough are outside these walls doing things they shouldn't be doing. The ones working around the hedges, the hedges were these thorny bushes that went around the uh, vineyards and that the workers would be there working on them. And if you couldn't do anything else, they would put you in the fields working on these hedges. If you wanted to carry on any kind of corrupt business, you took it outside the city walls to the highways and to the hedges. And he says, go out in the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in. My version says make. The same word there, make them come in. Compel them to come in. Don't drag them in. Don't beat them over the head with your Bible to get them here. And I, this scripture has been used wrong so many times. I can't count the number of churches that they will beat you over the head. They will make you feel so small, so undeserving, so poor and pitiful. They will scare you to death. They will do everything but physically drag you through the doors and then tell you how much God loves you. I had a testimony just a couple of days ago. Someone said that they knew someone who had got saved at a younger age, or went through the motions, and the reason they went through the motions is because they were scared. So the preacher come and got him and told him, you're going to hell if you don't get down to that altar right now and get saved, repeat these words after me, sign this card so you can make it to heaven. And so we can get some numbers on the roll and some baptisms on the scorecard. It's not what the Bible's talking about. Compel them to come in. Saul... Before he was turned to the Apostle Paul, Saul killed Christians. You know what he was doing? He was compelling them to not join the Christian church. And the, reason, the way he did it was he would drag them out of their home. He would beat them. He would have them murdered. That's what people did. 
This is not what the scripture is talking about. Compel them. How do you compel somebody to do something if they don't want to do it or they don't know they need to do it? When they hear your words, they'll be able to tell. The way you carry yourself, the way you act, the way you react, they will be able to understand that there's something in my life missing. That's how you compel somebody to the love of Christ. You show them the love of Christ, the way you talk, the tone of your voice. I've heard people tell me they loved me before, and I knew by the tone of their voice they did not love me. They will be able to tell when they watch your lives. Because you can tell them you love God all you want. You can tell them you love the church all you want. But if they watch your life and they see that you're mean and bitter, they see that you're angry, they see you don't really love just a certain people, that you do things that you wouldn't normally do if somebody was watching, they can tell. But if they see your life, and they see the love, not perfect, not by any means perfect, but somebody that's trying to do their best to love Jesus. If they watch your life, that will compel them to come in. If they witness your tears, if somebody knows you're really hurting over their situation, really hurting over their life, really hurting over the fact that they are not where they need to be with God, that will compel them. And then when they hear your prayers or they feel your prayers. Because I've heard sometimes they, sometimes they can argue with you, they can fight with you, they can refuse you, but they are helpless against your prayers. Compel them to come in. He said go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in. When your life shows that your hope and your trust is in Jesus Christ and Him alone, they will long for that hope. That will compel them to come in. Notice what he said again. Go out into the highways and the hedges and make them or compel them to come in. Who did he say? Them. He said them. There are no stipulations on who them are. There are no requirements on who them are. This was a group that was the farthest away from the church's persona that you could imagine. Go get them. Who are the them? Now that my introduction is over with, I'm going to start preaching. I'm going to tell you who the them are. Four points. The first is this. The them are desperate the them are desperate these are those that are seeking a means of hope you can see it in their eyes they know something is missing they know they need to be a part we were created with a God shaped hole in our soul that only he can fill and the desperate know there's something missing. I don't know what it is exactly, but there's something missing. I'm not reaching my full potential. I'm not feeling my full joy because there is something missing. And the desperate are the ones that are looking. 
They're looking to be a part. They're looking to belong. They're looking to feel and be loved. I heard a pastor one time say he was walking down the road and a homeless man approached him and he asked for some spare change. And the preacher told him, he said, I, I searched my pockets, my wallet. I said, I had no money on me at all. He said, I turned to this man. I said, I'm sorry, brother, but I don't have any money on me. And he said, this young man's face lit up. And he shook my hand. And he said, you have given me far more than I ever asked for because you called me brother. The desperate are seeking the Lord. They are looking for something. And if they see that something they're missing in your life, they will be drawn to you. They will be drawn to you because there is something you have that they know that they need. Go out into the highways and the hedges and compel the desperate to come in. The second is the defiant. These are the robbers and the cheaters. These are those that mean you no good at all. These are those that intend to steal your joy. These are the difficult ones. These are the ones that are, you just, you just know, going into it. They know that they're missing something, and they just don't care. I, when I worked in uh, West Virginia, I worked at a coal dock, and uh, I prayed. I just started uh, a church as an associate pastor, and I was working shift work. I was working a lot. And I said, God, if there's any, I worked at Cold Dock, and there wasn't any day turn Monday through Friday jobs at this Cold Dock. We worked shift work. We worked 24 hours a day. And I said, God, if there's any way at all, use me however you can use me, but if there's any way that I can get a different job to where I can work Monday through Friday, where I can be there on, on Sunday for the church, on Wednesday night for the youth, if there's any way at all, and I prayed this, for a few months, one of my bosses called me, and I had done some projects for them on my days off, drywall and, and remodeling and some stuff like that. And one of my bosses called me into his office, and he said, I uh, got a proposition for you. I said, all right, what is it? He said, I, we need a plant carpenter. He said, we have four or five uh, plants in the area, and we're always needing something built. We're always needing something remodeled. We're always needing something fixed. And he said, you've done some projects before. Would you be interested in that job? I said, absolutely. That is an answer to prayer. Thank you. He said, don't you want to know what the pay? I said, nope. I said, God got me this. He'll take care of the rest of that. And he smiled. And he said, all right, you start Monday. He said, but the guy you're going to be working for is Pete Lowe. And Pete Lowe had a reputation. This big, burly biker. Had long hair and he was bald and he was he just just mean to everybody, seemed like. And uh, foul mouth and he said that Pete's going to be your. He said I'm glad you mentioned that this was God because when you get there Monday you may want to ask God if he was sure about this. And I said yes sir. And I showed up on Monday and I went in. It's the first time I'd ever meet met Pete Lowe and we shook hands. We sat down. He said I hear you're a preacher. I said yes sir. 
He said, well, you can leave that stuff at the door. He said, the language is going to be rough. He said, I don't want you in here talking about church and inviting people to church. He said, we come to work. It's what we hired you to do is work. He said, what do you got to say about that? I said, yes, sir. Now, I don't know if he expected a fight or not, but he didn't get one. And I walked out. We worked that day, and I walked out. I said a little prayer for him, and I said, thank you, Lord, for this job. I get to be a pastor. And uh, we went on. I showed up, and I did my job. And it wasn't three weeks later. I remember like it was yesterday. I was sitting in my shop, and uh, Pete was by the door with some, some other guys, uh, some welders, and they were talking. And one of them said a couple of foul words. And uh, Pete Lowe, he said, look here. We don't like that potty mouth stuff in this shop. And they said, yes, sir. And Pete became one of my best friends. I got a witness to him on several occasions. He had some health problems, and I was one of the first ones he called. And at the beginning, he was absolutely defiant. He was the definition of defiant. And I believe sometimes when we run into that situation, as Christians, as a church, as believers, we, we're so quick to pull up the scripture where Jesus says, when you go into a town and they reject you, shake the dust off your boots, walk on, and it'll be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah, which I destroyed for their wickedness, than for that city that has rejected you. And I believe sometimes when we run across somebody that's defiant, and I could have done that that day. I could have walked out of Pete's office that day and said, God, he's yours. Strike him dead if you need to. I'm shaking the dust off my boots and never spoke to him again. And I think that might be what he was expecting. And I think sometimes when we reach those, when we see those that are defiant, and it's not comfortable, sometimes it hurts. And we walk away and we say, I don't want anything to do with him again. I'm never, ever approaching him again. Time and time again through my life, as soon as somebody finds out I'm a preacher, I've had them come and tell me, I don't want nothing to do with your God. I don't want nothing to do with your religion. And my response is always the same. All right. And then I pray for them. And I love on them. And I'm as kind as I possibly can be to them. The defiant that we are to go and get and bring to the table when they reject you, and they will because they are defiant for whatever reason. When they reject you, go back again. Show them you love them. Show them you care. But keep going back. Keep going back. Because he told us to go and get the defiant. So we seek out the desperate, the defiant. And the third is the difficult. And these are not completely defiant people. They're just the ones that you know are going to present a challenge. I have run into more of those that we are to go out and get. I've run into more of the difficult than I have anyone else. They present a challenge. They're the ones that they're going to argue with you a little bit. I had a young man, he asked me what I thought about something, and I, I went into a 35-minute sermon on what the Bible said about it. That was the last time he asked me about it, but 
When I got done, he said, that makes sense. He said, I don't believe it. I don't know where it is in the Bible, but my preacher said this, and that's what I believe. I said, all right. The difficult. These are the ones that are going to come with unanswerable questions just to try and trip you up. These are the ones that are mixed up spiritually, that have heard all kinds of different things all their life, and they just they don't really understand Jesus. These, the difficult, are the ones that are going to take some patience and some compassion. I've, uh, I, I was going through this, and I, I thought I've told Laura several times. I said, we, it seems like every church we go to, we attract crazy. And I think it's just me. They just, because I, I walk into a church, and it seems like the, just the craziest, wildest person there sees me and goes, oh. I said, we attract crazy. You know, some of the best times in my life, some of the highest spiritual moments in my life, had to do with some of them crazy people. Some of the difficult people, they're like, oh, you know, let's not be too religious this morning. Oh, I don't, I don't do that with anyone. You know who they are. Because you see them coming, and you're like, oh, oh, oh. And you smile, you put that Jesus smile on, but you're, mm -mm. And if you don't know somebody like that, you might be that person. But I've learned over time that the, the difficult, when you give them patience, when you give them compassion, when you just show them a little love, show them a little understanding, they're the ones that always, always have your back. They're the ones that, that just, they're drawn to you because they know somebody's going to love them. I may say a little crazy thing every once in a while, but he's going to love me anyway. I have learned to love the difficult. I remember when we was talking this morning, and the sheriff was talking about a, a phone going off in service, and, and even in a, a funeral service, phone going off. And I remember this particular time, I had a youth group in Kentucky, and we had about 40 kids in this room. They was all just packed in there, and I was, I was right in the middle of my lesson, and they were all listening. They were all just on the edge of their seats. And had a boy, he was the first time he'd ever been there. And this was in the uh, mid-90s, mid to late-90s. So not everybody had a cell phone. Nothing I ever had to worry about. I didn't have a cell phone. His cell phone started ringing in class right in the middle of my lesson. And I mean, we're, it's not like a big room like this. We were, we were all packed in there. I, I was close enough to reach out and touch him just about. And his phone rang, and he froze. And he turned red. He broke out into a cold sweat first time he'd ever been there and I said go ahead I said, go ahead and answer and so he did he got the phone he said he said hello yeah he said I can't talk right now I'm in church no seriously I'm in church <laughs> and he hung up the phone and he put it down and he sat there and I finished my lesson never said any more about it after church he came up to me everybody had already gone he came up to me and he said two things he said I want to apologize he said I, I didn't I didn't know the 
the ringer was on. He said, I'm sorry that it did that. He said, the second thing is this, I want to thank you. I said, what for? He said, every other church I have ever been in would have ran me off. He said, not only did you not mention it, you allowed me to answer my phone. And he said, I've never felt more a part of a group. First time he'd ever been there. Never felt more part of a group, of a family, than I did tonight. And he'd come, and I found out some background. He'd come from a broken home. He had a rough life. Um, he became one of my best kids. Never missed. Became a worker in the church to this day, and that was 20-something years ago. To this day, I still remember him. And it was a difficult situation. But how easy is it for us to go after those that are just like us? It's easy. It's easy to love those that are just like us. It's easy, easy to try and fill up this church with people that are just like us. I don't want people that are just like us. I want the desperate, the defiant, the difficult. Those that need Jesus the most. That's what he said, bring them in. That's why he said, fill this table with those. The desperate, the defiant, the difficult. And then the fourth one is this, the different. This is more prevalent now than it has ever been in our churches. The different. People that look different. I see people all the time that, that got just red and green and blue hair and they dress just crazy and they've got spikes around them. I've seen people walking in the mall that had a leash on them. I'm not talking about little kids. I'm talking about grown folks with a spiked collar and a leash and they had somebody leading them around. You don't get much more different than that. They dress different. They look different. They act different. They talk different. They're not like us. We don't understand them, and that's why they don't understand us. They have a different lifestyle. They have a different way of thinking. Go out and get them and bring them in that my house may be filled. So, but that makes me uncomfortable. Jesus died for them. How uncomfortable do you think he was on the cross? Compel them to come in. The desperate, the defiant, the difficult, and the different. How do you do that? How do I go after that group of people? You see them through God's eyes. Don't see them through my eyes. Don't see them through my past because they may be somebody that looks or reminds me a whole lot of like somebody I've had trouble with or I have difficulty with. I'm, I'm not going to lie. When Mark Brandon walked in that door, I said, that guy ain't going to be nothing but trouble. <laughs> and ain't much changed, but I love that dude to death. See them through God's eyes because you know what? Somebody saw us through God's eyes. 1 Corinthians 9, Paul says this. And this is how you go out and you get those to come in. He finishes up this testimony with, with this. To the weak I became weak in order to win the weak. And he'd already said, I, to those that are Gentiles I became as a Gentile. To those that are Jews I became as a Jew. To those that have the law I became as one that had the law. To those without the law I became as one without the law. 
to the weak I have become weak in order to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that I may by, by every possible means save some. I have become all things to all people so that by some chance I might be able to save some. God, make me whatever I need to be to see lost people saved. We have lost sight of that. As a, and I'm not talking about this church. I'm talking about as the church of God in its entirety. We have lost sight. We have worried so much about what we're going to do and where we're going to go and all these other things. And we forgot to pray this one thing. God, make me whoever I need to be to see lost people saved. Everything is ready. Everything is ready. And this is a challenge to the church this morning. Everything is ready. The Bible says, compel them to come in that my house may be filled. You run across somebody this week that is different, difficult, defiant, or desperate. Show them love. Pray for them. Invite them to church. He said that my house may be full. Not just this house. Now he's talking about this house. This is the house of God. But not just this house. He's talking about the kingdom of God. This is a challenge to the church. Compel them to come in. Over the next several weeks, we're going to be talking about different individuals that Jesus has invited to the table. Different individuals that Jesus himself set a place at this table for them. We're going to be talking about an adulterous woman, a religious leader, a crooked tax collector, a crazy man. None of which, save the one, you would expect to be called to this table. And the challenge to the church is this. Bring them in. For the next several weeks, they need to hear what kind of people Jesus called to the table. They need to know we're not perfect. Apart from the grace of God, none of us would have a chance. So if you've got somebody in your family, somebody in your circle of influence, somebody you work with, pray for them. Compel them to come in. And our prayer needs to be this, this week. God, make us somebody, somebody that will do anything in our power to see lost souls saved. With every head bowed and every eye closed. I want you to listen to my voice. You're here this morning, and this has all been done. If you were here this morning and you're not saved, every bit of this has been done for you. Whether you are the desperate, whether you are the defiant, whether you are the difficult, or whether you're simply different, God has called you to the table. If you've never given your heart and your life to the Lord, why don't you do that this morning?
What an outstanding way to begin this new year and to accept your invitation to the table. If you're this morning, you've never been saved, I would love to pray with you. I would love to show you how to be saved. If you need to be saved, why don't you come? Why don't you come? Wherever you are, whoever you are. Table set. Everything is ready. Everything has already been done. All you have to do is accept it. If you're here this morning and you've gotten away from God over this past year, you say, Preacher, I want to get involved again. I want to get closer to God. I want to be everything that I can be for the Lord. I don't want to be one of those that have found something better to do than to come to the table. If that's you this morning, you need to pray. Why don't you come? My final question is this. If you're here this morning, you've been saved. And if you have been saved in this story, you are a servant. And as we go out, as we leave those doors and we go out, if you want your prayer to be, I want to be all things to all people so that I might by in some way save some. If that is your prayer, I want you to raise your hand, put it right back down. We're going to pray. God bless that hand. Hands all over the building. My prayer is this. I want to be all things to all people so that I might by some means save some. God bless those hands. Church, this is our challenge. This is our challenge. What are you going to do with it? Father, we're so thankful today for all the blessings of life you've given to us, for how good you've been, Father, for the mercies, for the grace, Father, for the invitation to come to the table. And I pray for those in this room that, that haven't come, those that are unsaved. Father, I pray that you draw them, that they would see that we love them, that we care for them, that, that you've given your son for that opportunity to come to this table. For those that need to rededicate, Father, for those that need to make a closer decision to serve you. Those that want to be all they can. And Father, for this church, I pray that our prayer is that we be all things to all people. So that by some chance, lost souls are saved. You've prepared everything. Everything's ready. And it is now in our hands. Bless us, I pray, as we leave this building, as we enter our mission field, that lost souls are saved, that people come and rededicate, that lives are changed, that decisions are made. Bless us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I'd like the ushers come just now, if they will, take up a morning tithes and offering.